live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Here we go. It's a Wednesday. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. As the man told you, it's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Uh, tough to talk about sports today, but we're going to try to do it. Somber day in Texas yesterday, uh, but here we are and got a job to do. How are you, Tyler? I'm good. I'm, yeah. I like that you refer to our imaging as as the man said. Yes. I don't know who the man is. <laughs> it's Leon. Oh, okay. Right. I've never met Leon. He could be computer generated, but it's Leon. All right. Thank you, Leon. <laughs> I know Leon. I know you, I, I, You've, you met Leon? Her... You've met Leon? I, well, I don't know if I've met Leon, but uh, I do know Leon's voice. He does an incredible job for us. Uh, let's just get right to it. Oh, okay. The first bite. The Press Box First Bite is brought to you by Jared Justice. Jared Justice. If you need a crappy producer, Jared Justice. Which Raiders players are under the most pressure this season? Boy, that's a smorgasbord of picks. So, Tashawn Reed from The Athletic wrote a story that was five Raiders who have the most on the line this season. And the five players that he put in there were Alex Leatherwood, Andre James, Cleland Furl, Trayvon Mullen, and Jonathan Abram. And the first thing that jumped out to me was if we're looking at pressure for the 2022 season, should Derek Carr be considered to be under more pressure than anybody else on this team? I think he, well, I think he should because of the position he plays and what his contract says. So if he doesn't perform and like you were saying yesterday, they come up with a, six and 11 record, a five and 12 record or whatever, uh, he could be gone because he's a quarterback. Um, I, you know, those five that stood out, I, my, my thought, first of all, went to the guys whose options weren't picked up. Yeah. So this is, if we're, it depends on what level of like pressure we're talking about for this season. Um, if we're looking at, are you going to stay in the NFL? Are you going to get another contract, right? Or maybe that's a little extreme. Are you going to get a good second contract? Then Cleveland Furl, Jonathan Abram, and Josh Jacobs are yeah, three of the guys under the most pressure. I think there. Josh Jacobs might sh- should be on the list, maybe. Right, and especially because the Raiders look like they drafted his replacement in Zamir White. Mm-hmm. And if if you're looking at it just simply from a standpoint of, hey – who is actually going to like be in the NFL next season? Who's going to be uh, get a second contract or a good second contract? Those three all have something to prove. Because if you take, I mean, take Cleveland yeah. Furl. He it's not that he's been a bad NFL player, but he hasn't been that productive. He certainly hasn't been. Well, he hasn't lived up to his pick. draft status, right? And so if Cleveland Furl is sort of forgotten in the defensive line rotation this year, is another NFL team signing him next year? Yeah, probably, but. As a backup, right? There's right. not really going to be a big contract for Cleveland Furl. Jonathan Abram, as Same of now, thing. in line to be a starter. But if Jonathan Abram struggles again, if some five foot six running back from the Chiefs jumps over him to catch a touchdown pass again, Abram's not signing as a starter somewhere else. He'll probably sign somewhere, but it's not going to be for big money. And then Jacobs is the interesting one because we still sort of assume that he's going to get the most carries going into this season. But there's a lot of running backs on that team. Yep. And if Jacobs has, Falters. you know, an, 
if he has an injury riddled season or whatever, like running backs in the free agent market usually don't cash in. So there's reason to think if Josh Jacobs doesn't have a, even if he does have a good season, honestly, but if he doesn't have a monster season, he's not going to get a big second contract from somebody. And those three sort of stand out as okay. As far as pressure goes, those guys' careers are right. basically pressure. on the line this year. I mean, I don't know why I don't know why Jacobs isn't mentioned there. I do think you're right in that they'll all sign second somewhere. But the reason I pick Carr is again, he plays the most position, important position. He's the most important guy, uh, and how his uh, contract is structured, along with Devontae Adams, how his contract is structured in terms of they can move on from these guys. Um, I think Derek Carr. It, it's a different kind of pressure, right? It's a different kind pressure. of pressure than the other than the other three have because Derek Carr is going to have a career continuing on and. You know, he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's going to be signed. You know, if he, for whatever reason, they were really bad and cut, he would be signed by another team potentially to be a starter. Same with Devontae Adams, obviously. So a different type of pressure. But the most pressure to perform, I just have to go to the quarterback. Yeah, so Adams and Carr's career aren't going to end after this season. No matter what. Most likely – even if even if the Raiders decided not to pick up their contracts, they're going to sign and probably be starters mm-hmm. somewhere else unless things are just horribly wrong this season. But from a, a higher level, right, from like a legacy-type level, Carr and Adams are absolutely under the most scrutiny this year. Right. Like, Derek Carr cannot be average. Derek Carr has to take this team at a minimum to the postseason – because he finally got his number one wide receiver. He's got a new coach. Like, this is this is supposed to be, like, the, the Raiders went all in this year. They went all in, and Derek Carr's the quarterback, and we've had eight years of very limited success and a whole lot of excuses. Yes. If there's another year filled with excuses because they don't perform at a high enough level, that's, that's not good enough for Derek Carr. And honestly, Devontae Adams, I, I put him in that same category because – he leaves Aaron Rodgers. Does he produce at that same level? And maybe more importantly, does that lead to wins? Like Devontae Adams has been a really good wide receiver. He's also been playing with one of the t- top three most talented quarterbacks in the league for his entire career. Now he's going to play with Derek Carr. Whole new situation for him. What happens if Devontae Adams turns in like an 820 yeah. yard season? Yeah. Like Hunter Renfro has more yards. Right. We're going to be looking around saying, oh, they gave him a first and second round pick. For that? That, right. that wasn't very good. Do they really need to keep him around and have, I think it was it a 30-something million dollar cap hit next year for Devontae Adams? Like, there's legitimate uh, scrutiny for these two guys. The, the other guys, it's on the lower end of, of we're not really going to be, well, I mean, we'll still make fun of Mike Mayock and John Gruden for drafting him in the top five. But, like, we're not really going to hammer on Cleveland Furl if he's not playing a whole bunch. No, I don't know because the expectations are what they are with right. him. I don't think either of us expect him to be good anyway. Or at least, right. I'm, I'm not saying good, but great for sure. We don't expect that. If Jonathan Abram's not any good, we're, we're probably not going to criticize Abram that. too much. We're right. going to criticize the Raiders for leaving him as a starter right. throughout the offseason. But if if Carr's not any good, or even even if he's good, if he's not great, like that's the key. I think that's the difference is... The other three standard is, well, can you be a helpful and a useful NFL player? Carr and Adams, like, they need to be one of the best wide receiver quarterback duos in the entire yep. NFL. Like, that, like they need to be top five is what we're talking about. And I, I don't know if they're going to actually do that, but that's... Top five is a push. Right. That's the scrutiny they're going to be under because the Raiders went 
all in this season and the Raiders front office has an out on both of them. They do not have to keep those two for the following season. So that's where I think the pressure or the scrutiny, whatever you want to look at it as, that's where it comes into play the most because those two are a supposed to be the most important players on the team and B need to deliver. And if they don't, it's, it's not going to be good for the Raiders going forward. They can be successful without Jonathan Abram, Quillen Furl, or Josh Jacobs doing anything productive this year. Well, they, I mean, they've already won 10 yeah. games without uh, they made Jonathan the Abram doing they almost anything. Beat the AFC champion with some of those guys not doing anything. Uh, the least amount, I think, perhaps just because it's his second year, he's on this list as Alex Leatherwood. Um, you Old know, Leather. I mean, uh, you know, I guess to justify his draft status, but it is his second year. He could be replaced pretty quickly um, uh, on that line, I would think. So I think this is the least amount of guy in his second year, even though there's some there's some pressure on him. Pressure? To, you know, try to improve from the first to second year. And I think Paul Gutierrez said it best the other day. A lot of linemen do improve from their first to second year, so we'll see what he, he says. But there's a lot more and a lot more of those guys than Alex Leatherwood at this point. Yeah, Leatherwood's pressure, I think, is more pressure. about is he going to be in the NFL? Like, right. if he if he has another season where like Pro Football Focus grades him as oh he's the 80th best tackle out of 83 tackles again, Alex Leatherwood might not be on the team next year. Right? Like you, it'd be, it'd be saying a lot to cut a first round pick, but like if he's that bad, wasn't he might there not first round the pick? Team. Right. That's that's true. He might not be on the team next year. So there's there got to is... be there's got to be some team that you can just be like, hey, he's a former former first round pick. We'll take a fifth. So as far as Leatherwood goes, it, it's more about does he just prove he's not one of the worst tackles or guards, whatever position he plays <laughs> in the NFL? Our guards, and right. If he if he does, good for him, and he'll probably be on the team next year. If he doesn't, there's a chance that he could. They would just the move team. on from him. Yeah. So we'll see. But it is. It's an interesting look at like which players are going to have to perform this year, which ones the I, Raiders are counting on to to be better than they have been in their career. I mean, he also puts Andre James on here. Is that mostly because of who they drafted and he could lose his job? And yeah, Dylan. I mean, I mean, yeah, Dylan Parham could take Andre James' job conceivably, and Andre James is not like a renowned center, right? It's not Rodney Hudson anymore. Where right. it's like, oh yeah, yeah of course right. that guy's going to start. It's right. it's Andre James, and so Dylan Parham. I, the the Raiders never really gave him a position, right? They just drafted him and said he was versatile. Uh, he's versatile. Okay, he's All versatile. Right. So I Not I'm sure curious to see. <laughs> I wonder I wonder what you guys will see tomorrow at OTAs. But I'm curious to see if that means he gets a shot at one position, or if they just rotate him through a bunch of positions and then sometime in August they decide, okay, let's give him a shot at this position. I, in I'm two hours, if... we're going to see him play every guard, every offensive line position, and maybe tight end. <laughs> There's a lot you can do the, in two hours. He he's the one that was a tight end in high school, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I mean, throw, throw him some passes. What? How did we get some passes? Through, I just threw that out there and forgot he was a tight end. So you said that's yeah, like, yeah. man, maybe he will light up a tight end. Oh yeah, he's a tight end in high school. Um, I think he was a tight end his first year in college, and then they converted him to lineman. Wow. So basically, there they need go. to drop some center eligible plays, like it's flag football, for yes. uh, Dylan Parham to come out from center and go catch a pass. Look out, Foster. Come on. Oh, man. Oh, Foster Moreau. He's finally going to break out, isn't he? I don't know. I've been <laughs> talking about Foster Moreau like he's yeah. going to do something amazing for like yeah. three years now, and he never has. He's got this guard tackle behind him now, pushing him for playing uh -oh. time. 
Dylan Parham stealing versatile. playing time from Foster. Yeah, I'll tell you Monroe. what, if Dylan Parham can play some tight end, he is versatile. <laughs> uh, he's. Uh, I'm going to buy into the versatility argument. He's okay. So if. If the Ra- if he's not a start, right? If the Raiders go with Andre James and and other guys at the guard spots, he's like guaranteed to be the sixth on- lineman that comes right, in and reports right. as eligible on the goal line and then catches a pass, right? Almost guaranteed, right? Oh yeah, I mean he's going to have more experience than those other guys. Okay, so we should we should find somewhere to take a bet on Dylan Parham touchdowns over under point five this year. Boy. They've got a lot of weapons. If they're moving down to the Dylan Parham, he's eligible, an eligible receiver. I don't know, but that's, he does how, have that's some... how you fix the red zone problems. Ed. Throw to Dylan Parham. Throw to Dylan Parham. Did John Gruden ever drop a pass to the to an offensive lineman? No, he never where made was, those where guys. Where was the Alex Leatherwood flat route? I don't know if he made those guys eligible, Johnny. Gruden. Yeah, exactly. So that's going to be the fix right there. It, Dylan it, Parham standing in the end zone all alone and Derek Carr probably throws it away because it's fourth down and that's what he does. They need to take a page from Andy Reid's playbook and be like, we got a defensive tackle split out wide. (laughs) They need to do a lot. Well, they got nine of them. Well, they got too many running backs and fullbacks. They don't have any place for defensive players to come over. They don't even have a place for Dylan Parham to play. They're going to be putting Brandon Bolden and Amir Abdullah at tight end because they got 74 runs. It's a six tight end set. All right, coming up next, at least it wasn't a sweep, but another blowout in the NBA. It's just no fun. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. The Mavericks avoided being swept last night, beat Golden State 119-109. However, that sounds like a close game. But the Mavericks led by 29 going into the fourth quarter. It was another blowout um but the dallas mavericks hit 23s 46 percent from three they went from poor shooting to great shooting it's been a series of dallas getting open threes but missing most of them because it's you know guys like spencer dinwiddie or reggie bullock shooting them they have missed quite a lot of their open threes this year i think the we talked about it yesterday the whole banning of the three-point line the dallas mavericks are the perfect example for that like they are the team that wins or loses by 30 points because they either make 48% of their threes or they make 18% yeah, I, of their threes. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I have to be honest, I watched just the end of it. I uh, was watching mostly news last night, but I did watch them almost blow the lead. But this tells me uh, Golden State by 25 in uh, <laughs> game five. Uh, so this is it's just, it's, it's unbelievable that it keeps happening like this. Um, there's no explanation for it, all these blowouts and, uh, hit 23s one night and 60 the next night. Um, Luca, 30, but he shot 11. He shot 30 point. He had scored 30 on 26 shots, three of 11 for three. He wasn't very good at all, and yet they still blew him out. Why? Because those other guys uh, hit hit a bunch of threes. And I think they'll go to San Francisco and lose, and then we'll be on to the next series for Golden State. So here's the curious part for Dallas, and like Luca's stat line wasn't all that good. Um, but their three-point shooting was, and that's how Dallas wins games. If they get other guys to knock down threes, then Luka will find them, or Luka will get layups if you don't really bring help defense. And that, that's how they win games. They've lost games in this series primarily because they haven't knocked down those three-pointers. So I am curious. I think there is a legitimate chance we could see another Dallas hits 40-something percent of its threes. Dallas hits 20 threes again. 
and wins a game. And I think that, that we could see that in make it a, and force it to six back to Dallas because that's what Dallas has done throughout the postseason. They just haven't really done it in this series very much. So I, I do think there's a little bit of hope for Dallas because what they did in game four is very similar to what they did in games one through three. They just didn't knock down the shots. It's not like there was something drastic that was different that led to them winning that game. They can repeat that again in this series. It'll just be a matter of can they knock down the shots. And at the same time, like we've seen, the, the, the part that's been amazing is that when one team in the NBA playoffs catches fire and knocks down a bunch of threes, the other one sucks. Yeah, like they, it, they, exactly. It, they don't match the other team. Right. There's like almost never been games where both teams no. are on fire from no. three. Or honestly, both teams suck. I guess we did have the last Boston-Miami game. Both teams kind of struggled to shoot. But Miami was 0 of 14 and 3 of 12 or two different types of struggling to shoot. Yes. So, But it's like when one team catches fire, it's like the other team's just like, yep, game's over. We're yep. not going to knock down a shot. We'll see you tomorrow. It's, it's bizarre that we have not seen. Because I'll tell you what, we talk about bad NBA playoff games. It would be an incredible postseason game if both teams hit like 22 Oh, it'd be awesome. And oh. it might actually be close. Yeah, we'd be talking about that's one of the best games we've ever seen. Right. But for whatever reason, one team will hit 20 and knock down 48%. The other team will hit 7, and they'll hit 18% of their threes. And we just are looking around saying, oh, okay, I, I can walk my dog in the third quarter of this game because it's over at that point. So I... I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping we get close games in the NBA Finals or maybe even at the end of the conference finals here, but it's just been ridiculous. Did you see the leak in the roof? Uh, Sports Center late at night. I saw this. I was <laughs> going to ask you about this because um, not when it was happening. So I, Sports Center showed these people. I wanted to ask you uh, one one nut job uh, they showed had a umbrella. Oh, that, that's the best. I guess it was absolutely pouring. It was pouring in Dallas. Um, but let me ask you this. How much would it take to pay you to be one of those dudes on top of the arena, even though you're in a harness? Oh, lifetimes or like a five years worth of, of salary. Yeah. They showed like that, that shot of those guys up there. I'm like, no chance. No no, yeah. no chance. There's no re I don't care if you're in a harness. <laughs> no chance. I enjoyed that. They, it seemed like they were like looking at each other like, this isn't doing anything. Do you guys like <laughs> help? I, I don't know. Like, like there was like almost like they kept cutting to them, and it was like they were in mid conversation. Like, I, I don't know. It keeps coming through. What are, What are we doing up here? They showed a shot on Sports Center of uh, Mark uh, Cuban. He was not happy. He was not happy about that. <laughs> that is one of the jobs that like it's like um, the guys on Deadliest Catch. Like they work for like three or four months nonstop. But then they get paid like six figures and they don't work for the other half of right, the year. Like right. that's one of those jobs where it's like, okay, like if I'm going to do this, I'm not doing this every day for an entire year. No. I'm working like half the year. I'm getting paid a lot and I'm taking six months off because you're going to like that. It's, it's one of those jobs but, that you're like, yeah, we're not doing this every day of the year. Oil rig workers work like six months on, six months off because the like death rate of right. oil rig workers is like 30%. Did you so we had umbrella guy in the arena? He was great. Mark Cuban was angry. There was a shot of Steph and Luca looking up at the ceiling, like, oh yeah, I see where it's coming from. Yeah, they can fix that. But my favorite part of the whole thing, did you see the pile of towels 
that they put down to try to dry yeah, up. Yeah, that's the first the, thing they showed the on the on the um, on the uh, video on the replay of these guys wiping up with a million towels on the floor. How many towels did they yeah. have? Jesus! It was like every towel in the arena was on the floor to try to wipe up what had already fallen, and I guess catch what was coming down. Like that was a mound of. T- There's no way that was effective. I, do you guys want to hear Ali LaForce? literally reporting on the leak it's about 50 seconds long well i know you guys sacrificed me to the roof but i didn't make it up there on time i'm still on the court extended halftime here in dallas unfortunately there was some liquid coming from the roof they sent somebody up they had a gentleman up there within four or five minutes to start making the leak happen this is actually the second time it's happened here this season when they were playing the minnesota timberwolves it happened as well that was in march but as you can see behind me they have about 15 towels on the floor the water did start (laughs) making its way onto the corner of the court so it was not safe to start play here i know the protocol is to eventually once the leak is completely fixed to put some time on the clock and allow the players to warm up again but the amount of time they'll put on the clock depends on how much time in the delay so we still don't have official word on when they'll start those warm-ups but the dripping has stopped for the most part so hopefully we're getting close there's still a little bit of trickle coming down though so we can't start things up just yet well how much time did they get then um, I don't know what they put on the clock. I know the official delay was 16 minutes. That okay. after the third quarter started, 16 minutes after it was supposed to start, so it wasn't too bad. But the leak was going on during halftime, so they had an extra 15 minutes to try to get it fixed before the official delay. Um, this has happened twice this year. Why is Mark Cuban playing at uh, Oakland Coliseum? Oh, I what? don't know. Were there rats up there as well? Why, why there, hopefully there weren't <laughs> rats falling from the ceiling because then we'd know where they were at. No, we you're know where the me, rats are. They're in the soda machine. Yeah. You're telling me Mark Cuban owns the Mavericks. This happened once in the regular season, and it happened again? He, he's, that's probably why he's so pissed off. He was not happy. He after those, the first yeah. time, he went, don't ever let that happen right. again. And then it happened again, and now he's like, I'm going to fire some he thought people. those leaks were fixed. He was not. We, from what I saw on the, on the clip, he was uh, staring straight ahead and not happy. Yeah, what are, what are we doing here? Like, this isn't Oakland Coliseum. This isn't one of the worst venues for sporting events in the country. This isn't Cashman Field with sewer leaks. This is Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks. What is this? Fix it. How? Uh, fix the, I, I want the series to come back for game six just so we can have another leak in the roof in Dallas. I want, some guy, I want some guy to go on Shark Tank with some kind of uh, contraption that fix leaks on roof. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> the, the, Cuban will be offering that guy as much money as he wants. I want, you can get 1% of my company. I want $800,000. Deal. One of my favorite Mark Cuban interviews is someone asked him like, hey, why haven't, uh, why haven't you invested in bidets in America? And he goes, well, I actually own the company that produces them in Japan, and it's just more, it's just more affordable to just keep it in Japan. So he probably already owns the company that patches the roof. That's why he's so angry. Yes. All right, coming up next, Vinny Bonsignore joins the show. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. You can hear him over on Raider Nation Radio. Covers the Raiders for the Review Journal. Vinny Bonsignore joins the show now. Good morning, Vinny. We got OTAs tomorrow, and I'm curious, a prediction from you. The biggest storyline after day one that the media can watch of OTAs is going to be what? Who lines up at right tackle uh, as a starting right tackle? Um, not to say that that will be the end, end up being the starting tackle, but um, 
you know, uh, where are the Raiders going uh, with that position? I think it's going to be Alex Leatherwood, uh, or at least he's going to get a legitimate uh, chance to uh, to reclaim that starting position. But for me, um, uh, as of right now, uh, that's that's what uh, I'm most curious about. Where do you think they put Dylan Parham to start? Uh, left guard. Uh, I think that that's, um, you know, when you draft a guard that high, and I know the third round isn't that high, but it's still fairly high, when that's your first pick uh, of your regime, uh, it's probably a telltale sign that they have a pretty good feeling that this guy's going to be able to compete for a starting job uh, right off the bat. So, um, I mean, I think that if, if, if you were to inject some, some truth serum, uh, you know, into Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler and everyone else, uh, over there, uh, they probably would like an offensive line that looks a little bit like Colton Miller at left tackle, Dylan Parham, uh, John Simpson maybe the, made the best man win that position, Andre James, um, Denzel Good at right guard, and and uh, you know uh, Leatherwood at, at right tackle. Uh, obviously, everyone's winning jobs are going to earn it. Uh, they're going to they're going to win it by performance and in the classroom and all that. But I have a feeling that's what they would like to see. So if if we if you're right if Alex Otherwood gets that first shot at right tackle is there going to be enough before the season starts to move him off of that position or would it be a similar spot as last year where we won't really know if he's performing well enough until you know maybe week 3 or 4 into the actual season yeah, well, keep in mind, and I've talked to some uh, some people from last year's staff uh, about this within like the last week or so. Really, when 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 the Raiders made that change, it wasn't so much that he was not playing good, which he wasn't. You know, not to say that he was playing great football because he wasn't, but it was more about um, what had happened beside him. Remember, the the plan was to have Denzel Good as the right tackle, or as, excuse me, the right guard, sort of as a veteran anchor in between Alex Leatherwood at right tackle and Andre James, who was making his first year, um, you know, starting for the first time at that center. They needed that. They were counting on that veteran presence. Uh, likewise, on the left side, where uh, Richie Incognito was supposed to be the veteran, um, you know, uh, anchor in between Colton Miller and Andre James. But all of that blew up in the Raiders' face uh, before the first half of the first game uh, of the season. Richie Incognito never got on the field. Denzel Good um, played one half of the first, you know, of, of the season opener. When that happened, it created massive holes in the interior of the offensive line. And at that point, from what I'm told, they had to scramble to find, all right, what's the best five at this point? Digging deep into their, into their uh, depth chart. So, it, it, long story short, had, had Denzel Good stayed healthy, Al, uh, Alex Leatherwood would have played right tackle the entire year. They would have lived with the ups and downs, which they knew were inevitable anyway. Uh, and maybe we're looking at a little bit of a different narrative uh, sitting right here. So it was more about what had happened at guard than what was happening with Alex Leatherwood at right tackle. We were talking earlier about uh, pressure, who has the most pressure uh, on them this year. Uh, and we came, we came away with one, one scenario in Derek Carr and Devontae Adams that they've got to prove that these contracts were worth it um, and they have to perform at a very, very high level. Would you agree with that? Yeah, uh, but I think they're ready to uh, embrace that. These are two guys that have been staples on their teams. You know, uh, go look at Devontae Adams' numbers, um, and they're as good as anybody in the NFL. Uh, even Derek Carr, when he was – you go back to last year when he had his full assortment – uh, of weapons, people were talking about him as an MVP candidate. It wasn't until the Henry Rugg situation and Darren Waller got hurt for you missed like five, six games or so uh, that that those numbers started to to wane uh, a little bit. When so there is pressure, obviously it's the quarterback, 
and, and the new toy in Devontae Adams. But I think if everybody stays healthy, uh, those are two constants. Um, for, for me, who's going to line up at cornerback uh, and, and defend uh, you know, the, the back end? How's Jonathan Abrams going to adjust to whatever his new role is? How is that offensive line going to be? So while, yes, those guys have pressure on them, uh, I, I think that both of those, both those guys are going to handle their positions uh, at a high level. Are you surprised at all there hasn't been anything to truly address the position Jonathan Abram plays, that he's still in a spot to be a starter uh, going into this year? Um, a little bit, I guess. But, um, you know, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option, so he's definitely on notice um, that this is a make-or-break year for him. Remember, they, they did draft Tyree Gillespie uh, last year as well, um, and, and I think that he's in the picture. He was hurt most of last year. So we're not quite sure, um, you know, what they have in, in Tyree Gillespie, but he could be uh, the plan behind Jonathan Abram uh, if that doesn't work out. So uh, I think there's a level, you know, when, when Jonathan was, was was healthy last year and playing kind of in a in a specific uh, specific role uh, that that accentuated his strengths and really masked his weaknesses, he was pretty good. He he didn't play bad football at all last year. Uh, it's when the Raiders have asked him to do more. Uh, and things that you know he's not necessarily very good at, in, in terms of you know pass coverage and covering large part, portions of the field, that's when he struggled. Uh, so if they can you know recreate the role that that he had last year, uh, he should be okay. Uh, but he is a limited player, and I think in the long run, uh, the Raiders are going to definitely have to address that position, whether it's Tyree Gillespie or somebody else. What kind of attitude do you suspect? And also, didn't get his option picked up, and the room is full of players. What kind of attitude? And performance do you expect from Josh Jacobs as he comes in, knowing the option was not picked up, and then looking around the room, a kid like Zamir White may be drafted to take his place. What do you expect from Josh Jacobs, at least to start? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of motivation there. Um, and, you know, he's, he's not only playing uh, to impress the Raiders. There's 31 other teams um, that, that he's probably thinking about uh, in terms of long range. Uh, Josh Jacobs is an NFL running back and a, and a pretty darn good one. Uh, I think whatever happens with the Raiders, he's going to find a landing spot uh, somewhere. Uh, I just think that this is sort of the philosophy of uh, this particular uh, group of, of leaders. I think when you look at New England and how they've handled the running back position, it's been you know, a revolving door there. They don't really pay a lot of money to that position. And I wouldn't rule out that it's going to work out here uh, with, the, with the Raiders. It's just not going to be at that number that the fifth-year option was going to be at. So, uh, And I do think that whatever happens here, Josh Jacobs is going to be fine. He's a good, quality NFL running back. It's just that the way the world looks at running backs right now, if you're not one of those Adrian Petersons, uh, t- you know, type dynamic, you know, uh, uh, players that you can almost build an offense around, uh, you're pretty expendable. Do you think there's a legitimate chance someone like Kenyon Drake could get cut before the season starts? Uh, cut, no. Traded, yes. Um, and I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but I do believe, you know, talking to uh, talking to Dave Ziegler, talking to Josh McDaniels. Uh, they understand sometimes the prudence in um, you know making a strength even stronger, so that by the end of training camp, and look, you don't know what's going to happen in terms of injuries. So there's the, the volatility of the running back room um, is, is is well known. Uh, but you could get to the end of training camp and you have this surplus of running backs, and uh, you know one or two guys that might be getting squeezed out that are viable NFL running backs. And you can dip into that strength if you have a weakness and go find a matchup somewhere in the NFL uh, in terms of a trade to try to work something out so that you could use a position of strength 
to then go, um, you know, fix a position uh, of need. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but uh, before he gets cut or any of those guys get cut, I think that a trade would be something that uh, more more likely. Everyone talks about the offensive line. I want to talk about another position you you mentioned, which was corner, uh, Rockison and Trayvon Mullen, and I think Trayvon Mullen's also one of those guys who uh, has something to prove. Did you think they'd add more there? And what do you think if those are the projected starters? How does that look to you? Uh, question mark next to, uh, to to that to that position room. I think there's a lot of potential, um, and I think that there's certainly motivation. You just mentioned that uh, Trayvon has a lot to prove. So does Rocky Asin. Uh They're both going in last years of their contracts, so they're playing for their futures uh, as well. Uh, Trayvon Mullen, um, you know, from what I understand, uh, you know, obviously he had the surgery, so there's a question mark there. Uh, looks like the timeline for him to be ready to go is right around the start of training camp. Um, so that, that bodes well for him to be ready for the season. Um, but there's no question that, you know, that's a position room that while there is potential, there's still a lot of unknown. And I think it helps, obviously, to have, um, you know, pass rushers like Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. That always makes life a little bit easier uh, at the cornerback position. Um, but for, from a Raiders perspective, uh, it's there's some unknown going on there and a lot of youth. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they hold up. Uh, with the trade of Brian Edwards, when the Raiders are in three wide receiver sets, there's one wide receiver that's not, I guess, written in pen, written in stone, good to go. Are we looking at Matt Collins, Demarcus Robinson as the number three wide receiver on this team? And Keelan Cole. Uh, I think it's going to be sort of a re- revolving door uh, at that position. And again, and I hate to always bring this up, but if you look at the Patriots and the way they've done things, um, they've been so multiple that, you know, uh, three wide receiver sets isn't always what they roll with. So um, there's a lot of, you know, two tight end, three tight end, two wide receiver, one wide receiver, and, and three tight ends. There's a lot of different combinations uh, to what they do schematic or, um, uh, you know, in terms of personnel groupings. So I, I kind of think that that's how they looked at that, whereas let's find a, a, a combination of a third wide receiver that does a bunch of different things in different players. Uh, Matt Collins will be somebody I think you're going to see on the field in red zone situations. He's a big, strong target that has had some success uh, on that part of the field. Uh, I think when you want to try to uh, stretch it a little bit, uh, that's where Keelan Cole uh, comes into play. Demarcus Robinson has shown in Kansas City in a crowded uh, offense with a lot of weapons that he can find uh, a little bit of a niche for himself and a little bit of a role for himself uh, and be you know productive when he's on the field. So I think that they're going to uh, do that by committee, um, and and that that was one of the reasons why you know they, they moved on from Brian Edwards. They felt like um, there was enough. Uh, in the room, maybe in a combination committee-wise, uh, to, to handle that third wide receiver position. Hey, Vinny, I'm basically asking every guest this. Uh, would you vote for Guy Fieri for president? For president? <laughs> um, wh- what's his stance on gun control right now and, and gun, uh, gun safety? Uh, because, I, I uh, don't think there's guns in Flavortown. Yeah, um, so I have to hear that, but uh, he can certainly be the uh, director of food and director of, uh, you know, meal planning and whatnot. But uh, as far as president, I think I'm going to uh, look for a better option than Guy. And I love Guy. Well, he is Vinny Bonsignore from the Review Journal. Vinny, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Vinny. Thanks, Vinny. All right, guys, have a good one. You too. All right, coming up next. I think that's our first no. NBA team? We can't get numb to this. We can't sit here and just read about it and go, well, let's have a moment of silence. Yeah, go Dubs. You know, come on, Mavs, let's go. 
that's what we're going to do. We're going to go play a basketball game. And, and 50 senators in Washington are going to hold us hostage. You realize that 90% of Americans, regardless of political party, want background check, universal background check. 90% of us. We are being held hostage by 50 senators in Washington who refuse to even put it to a vote, despite what we, the Americans, want. They won't vote on it because they want to hold on to their own power. It's pathetic. I've had enough. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Thanks to Vinny Bonsignore for joining the show. Coming up a little bit later, we're going to have tickets to go see the Eagles, so stay tuned Eagles. for that. Uh, yesterday, Roger Goodell said that the Pro Bowl doesn't work. His quote was, the game doesn't work. We need to find another way to celebrate players. Um, we killed. Oh, I mean, it was our fault. But did we, we ruined it. We, we, Vegas we ruined, ruined it. It the came Pro to Bowl. Vegas, and all of a sudden it's gone now. Yeah, we're just done with it. Um, well, there goes the sound I was going to play at 845. All right. What? What should the NFL do instead? To celebrate their best players? Yeah, like the, if they're sitting here saying the Pro I mean, Bowl, it's, it's it's a contact sport and nobody wants to make contact during kind the of Pro Bowl. I mean, I don't know. I like I've, I I kind of think it's if I always go to the edge of uh, if you don't like it, then don't watch it. I mean, I I think it's buffoonery. no one does. I know. I mean, I think it's buffoonery, which which maybe that's why I don't know if, if there's no ratings. Maybe that's why they're killing it because the NFL, if you don't have ratings, they're going to kill you. Um, I don't know what the ratings were for that game. I watched that game. It was uh, complete buffoonery. Uh, good for Max Crosby winning the player of the game. But you can't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you do. Do you do, I don't think you do skills or anything like that because guys are going to risk getting hurt. That's why they don't hit in the Pro Bowl anyway. They don't want to get hit, hurt. Do you just do, do you just stick with like an, like the NBA and all NFL team and if you make that, you get bonuses in your in your check. I mean, you know, if you get named to that, I, I don't know. I mean, I physically or, you know, in a game setting, if you don't have the game, I don't know what else you could do if you want to still feature them like in, in a game setting. So the Pro Bowl ratings last year, they got 6.7 million viewers, um, which is one of the lowest that the Pro Bowl has had in, in two decades. But... That is the same exact amount of people that watched uh, the last update. Game two of the Western Conference Finals also had 6.7 million. Okay. <laughs> so the NFL prints money. The reason the NFL <laughs> is not trying to get rid of the Pro Bowl because people don't watch it or aren't interested. They're trying to get rid of it because the actual players are not interested in right. playing the football right. during the Pro Bowl. And it largely goes back to injuries. And why would I try? Why would I do anything that could jeopardize me during a Pro Bowl? So there is definitely an element here of they make too much money off of this to actually eliminate the Pro Bowl. I just, I don't know what the answer is because Ooh. if they, like, they do the skills competition leading up to it. If they put that in, like, their Sunday main TV slot would would they get 6.7 million views probably would get less than that. I just, I don't know what the exact answer is, but I do hope there is some good answer from the NFL okay. because I personally don't like the pro bowl. I think the pro bowls, the, the worst of any of our, most of our all-star games aren't any good, but it's the worst of our all-star games. And I don't want to even have to pretend mm. like I care about it. So give me something more interesting. Okay. So Two of the things that most Americans watch whenever they go home and there's nothing on TV. House Hunters 
and guys' grocery games. So the Pro Bowl will be basically supermarket sweep or several members of, uh, you know, several Pro Bowlers have to flip a house. I wouldn't mind them seeing them flipping a house to do the construction. That'd be kind of they, funny, probably, if they had no if they had no experience in it. They'd be really good at the demolition, and then they wouldn't know what. <laughs> They're just yeah, like they would have no idea. All kitchen. Out. We're making the whole thing <laughs> open concept. All kitchen. But I I do enjoy the public recognition from Goodell that the Pro Bowl doesn't work mm-hmm. because it doesn't. It's it's a disaster. He very rarely comes onto one of those right. things that they that they host that he's saying it's not good enough. I mean, he right. rarely says that. I just am not sure what the actual answer is because I I would I I would be very surprised if we if they said, "Hey, we're just eliminating Pro Bowl week. We're not going to have an event. We're going to honor, you know, there'll be a Pro Bowl team, but there won't be an actual game. There won't be like there's nothing. It's just, "Hey, a PDF gets sent out to right. say who would have made the Pro Bowl." I'd be stunned if they did that because they're still making money. I mean, you, how many people attended the program? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, it still is something that they can make money off of. And anything the NFL does, they can make money off of it. So there's no way they just get a, do away with the entire week. I just don't know what the actual answer is because they're going to still, they're going to look at that 6.7 million viewers. And yeah, it was down from previous years. But it's still 6.7 million people that they don't want to lose watching their product on a, a weekend where they don't have any real games. So I don't know what the answer is, but Ninja Warrior. we don't have to watch fake football for the next five years. Hopefully we get something more fun instead.